Welcome everyone. I'm Frank Fair for Future You. We're glad you're here. And we're delighted to have as our guest today, Mike Balo, who will be on the ballot in November 2022 as a candidate for MSU Board of Trustees. First of all, Mike, thanks for being here. And also congratulations on getting your party's nomination. Well, thank you very much, Frank. It's my pleasure to talk to you today. And uh, thanks for the kind words. It's been a lot of work and quite an adventure, which is not even close to being finished yet, but um, I'm enjoying the ride and hoping for a really good outcome uh, in November so that I can serve. Yeah, people don't realize, uh, uh, I don't have a direct experience, but I've worked on staffs for people who are running for office. It is uh, intense work. So again, thank you for doing that. Uh, for those, before we get into uh, talking about uh, why you ran and what you hope to accomplish, Mike, perhaps the first place we should start, especially for people who don't know you, is to for you to provide uh, background on yourself. And so let's start with your family life. And one thing you and I talked about uh, where we have a comparison is that I lost a parent uh, very early in life, my father, you lost your mother. Uh, so talk a bit about the influence, uh, I know your father had a very significant influence uh, on life choices, your values, principles. Let's start there and talk about your dad. Yeah, it's a great place to start. Uh, appreciate that. So I'm very proud of my family. I was uh, just turned 50 this year, so I'm none the worse for wear, but uh, uh, born and raised on the east side of Detroit um, uh, for, for most of, for all of my young life. Um, you know, near the area of Kaju and I-94, if you're familiar with Detroit. Um, attended Catholic schools uh, most of my life, uh, Notre Dame High School, which is where I uh, went for those four years and um, was great. It was run by the Marists, um, you know, of the, of the Catholic faith. That I think they're based out of Boston, but they, um, a lot of people have heard of the Jesuits who do great work in education. Well, the Marists are right up there with them. So I got a wonderful high school education. Um, did well enough in high school to earn an appointment to my college, which was the, the Naval Academy. And that kind of points back to my father's brought up. So I came from a family that valued service. You know, my father was a, a Marine during uh, Vietnam, served during the Tet Offensive. My grandfather, you know, his father was a Marine in World War II who served on Okinawa. And my dad's brother was, uh, was a career Marine. Um, so family full of Marines um, always taught us from a young age how important it was to serve your country. So when I had the opportunity to do so, I jumped at it, you know, and um, I was fortunate that uh, I got a college scholarship out of the deal as well. Um, but yeah, my dad was a single parent for, uh, for many years. My mom passed when I was 12, my sister was nine from cancer. And we were fortunate that he was able to have those two roles. And um, he was quite the leader for us at a young age, you know, uh, that's, that's very stressful to, to go through that as a, a young man himself of 38 years old. And we were fortunate that we had a, a fine extended family of grandparents and cousins who helped raise my sister and I, um, because losing our, you know, our mom was, uh, was devastating. You know, and I tell people, um, it's just something that you never want to have to go through as a, as a child. I think the only thing worse than losing a parent is probably losing a spouse. You know, I mean, um, what do you do with the rest of your life? Right. And, uh, but like I said, we, we were very fortunate that we had um, great grandparents that helped raise us, get us off to school in the morning when my dad worked, um, help you know, finish our social education, if you will, in terms of having the right values. You know, um, you know one set of grandparents, uh, one, one grandparent was a, a pastor and then uh, a priest, and, and then the other uh, worked for the city of Detroit as well. 
very working class, you know, uh, you do your work, you don't say a whole lot, you don't complain, and uh, you just try to be a good citizen. You know, that's how I was, how I was raised. So you went to the Naval Academy. Uh, what was that experience like? Um, uh, and then you uh, were commissioned and went overseas. So talk about that a bit. Yeah, so um, coming out of the Naval Academy, you know, you're commissioned either, either as a Naval or a Marine officer in a variety of disciplines. You know, as far as the Marines go, it could be a ground officer, an artillery officer, logistics officer, um, pilot. You could be a Navy pilot, a submariner, uh, Navy SEAL, surface warfare officer, which is what I was, which is the, the core of the Navy's surface fleet. You know, it's cruisers, destroyers, frigates, carriers. You uh, lead the men and women that um, manage uh, those ships, you know, and keep them in tip top shape. And then uh, you're trained in fighting the ship. Uh, in times of conflict. And uh, we're always on watch, you know, as we sit here today, 24 seven, there's US Navy ships in, in uh, many corners of the world ready to respond uh, for whenever we need them. So for a while there, I was on the edge, you know, in the Persian Gulf um, in the nineties. I served actually uh, uh, between the two Gulf Wars. Uh, we had a big role in enforcing sanctions against Iraq during uh, Saddam Hussein's uh, Rain, where he was attacking the Kurds and making money on the uh, black market with his oil and everything like that. So um, th that was my time overseas. And when I came back, I was stationed in San Diego on the USS Valley Forge. My second tour was with the uh, U.S. Marines at the 1st Marine Division, which is based in Camp Pendleton. And um, I was part of a team that provided fire support to the Marines on the ground, uh, planned operations and training and, and so forth. And that was a uh, a wonderful time. I uh, enjoyed working with all the people that I did. I saw different types of leadership across the spectrum. Some I liked, some I didn't like. I, I, I led um, wonderful young men and women who were there to serve. And it really was one of the best times uh, in my life. Mm, thanks for sharing that. It's another point of comparison. I had an opportunity through the work I did at Michigan State to uh, go to Iraq in 2009 and had a chance uh, diplomatic uh, tour, uh, and we did some a number of different things with the Iraqis after that uh, in collaboration to help rebuild the country. But I had a chance to meet a lot of the military, U.S. military there, and was very, very impressed. So you returned to Michigan. Um, uh, you were married at that time to Deb, or did that come later? Um, we actually got married during let's see if I this right our time in San Diego we met in San Diego my wife Deb is from Kansas City actually she's a Jayhawk um, and uh, but we she was living in San Diego at the time we met and uh, we were married when we came back to Michigan to Traverse City actually where I did my last job in the Navy which was teaching at the Great Lakes Maritime Academy which for those familiar with Traverse City is right on the waterfront uh, downtown it's one of six uh, state uh, funded maritime schools in, in, in the country which in this case, specialized in the Great Lakes uh, ships, you know, iron ore and so forth. But uh, by federal law, there was a, a Department of Naval Science at each of these schools, because in times, in, in past times of conflict, the Merchant Marine and the U.S. Navy always worked very closely together. So there was a need to have the, to give them some form of education and how the Navy worked and its operations and so forth. So I provided that for them as well as um, try, you know attempted to uh, offer them a, a reserve commission if they so desired one coming out of that school, the Great Lakes Maritime Academy. And after that, um, I finished my time in the Navy and Deb and I moved to Plymouth, Michigan, which is where we live to this day. Excellent. And so uh, talk now about uh, family, uh, talk about your public service because you do an awful lot of 
public community service, but also about what you do professionally. And I think that will help round out uh, your background for the viewing audience. Sure. So um, uh, family-wise, my wife, uh, Deb, and I have three wonderful daughters, Sophia, Elena, and Maria. Uh, Sophia just finished her junior year at Michigan State. Elena just finished her freshman year at Michigan, so we're a bit of a house divided in that regard. Uh, we're proud of both girls immensely and our third girl as well, who's uh, finishing up her, uh, her sophomore year at Canton High School. And uh, all three are, are uh, athletes, fine students, and uh, we couldn't be prouder. And um, as far as uh, professionally, so I work in the commercial real estate space, a company called CBRE here in Detroit. Uh, previously, I worked um, for a large developer of uh, warehouses and industrial parks, one that's at the very top of their game, Ashley Capital, very proud of that time. And I've had outside of the Navy and those two jobs, I've held a variety of other jobs in automotive supply and, and real estate. Um, currently, I'm a licensed broker in the state of Michigan and uh, deal with uh, different types of commercial real estate here in Michigan. Um, but one of the things I'm most proud of um, is, is my volunteer work. Um, as I tell people, the jobs kind of find me. Um, people usually ask me if I take something on and sometimes after mild resistance, I, I say yes. Um, for six years, I was a church president of uh, St. Lazarus in Detroit, which was our family church going back forever. Um, a neighborhood association president, um, uh, Plymouth Cant Steelers football coach and, and youth, uh, um, youth club president, uh, board member at the Livonia Chamber of Commerce, uh, treasurer there, current treasurer of the Michigan Youth Football and Cheer Conference, um, and I'm probably forgetting some, but I, I like to be involved, as you can tell. I like to help out, especially with young people. Um, I think it's my way of paying it forward. I was given a lot of opportunity as a young man by the people that um, trained me, educated me, loved me, and taught me how to, uh, what, I, what I think is live life uh, in, a, in a good way, because none of us are going to be here forever. None of us are getting out of here alive, and we got to make the most of the time we have, so I try to pay it forward. Yeah, so giving back. Uh, is certainly one of your uh, taglines, giving back to the community, making a difference. Well, uh, of all the things that you have done and could do, um, you're running for a trustee position at a uh, major university, Michigan State. Um, and so one of the things we want to explore is why you're doing that. Uh, if anyone uh, has an opportunity, and we hope everyone will, go to Mike's uh, trustee page you will see that he's very clear, very declarative about why he's running and what he hopes to accomplish. And I'm just going to take some words, Mike, off, the, uh, off that page and have you elaborate. Uh, one of the things that caught my eye was a phrase, you want to be the voice of reason. Um, the other thing that you say is you make comments about the current leadership uh, and even use the word dysfunctional. Uh, on the web page, which is obviously a strong word, MSU can be better. Uh, so if you could take a few minutes to elaborate uh, how those words and phrases connect to why you decided to uh, run for trustee. Sure. You know, I never sought this. I never woke up thinking I'd want to be a trustee of Michigan State University. I never even thought I would ever run for public office. But there comes a point where you think, geez, I know I could do that job. I just have to get through this thing we call an election uh, and a convention and, a, and an election. And if I can do that, then I feel very confident that the services, skills, and knowledge I could provide to that board would be beneficial to, to the university. 
what I saw, what I've seen is, look, our, our first daughter came to Michigan State in the fall of 2019 in the aftermath of the, the horrible years of the sexual abuse that was perpetrated by uh, Nasser there. And obviously he went to prison, right, where he belongs for the rest of his life. Um, the problem is that so much more could have been done by the institution to take care of the young women and their families that were um, abused by this man. And I'm not talking money. You know, people will say, well, there's, there's been any number of, of dollars paid out in terms of settlements and, and whatnot. But we're not talking about dollars here. We're talking about right and wrong. And when in the fall of 19, Michigan State failed to do what it promised, which was do a complete investigation into the institutional failure at a, at a place like Michigan State where someone like Nasser was able to do what he did for so long, that doesn't just fall on the perpetrator. There were so many enabling factors, in my opinion, that allowed that to happen. And to this day, Michigan State has never followed through on that promise to do that investigation. And all I'm gonna say is, why? Like, what possible reason could Michigan State have had for not following through on that? Um, you know, they, they can claim any one of a number of things and they'd all be the wrong answer because the very least they could do in their, in their duty to the people of the state of Michigan and to the students there was get to the truth. You know, the truth will set you free. And so um, why some trustees decided in the fall of 2019 to, to not go forward with that investigation, I cannot say. Um, and, I'll, and I'll leave it at that. But I think if I was there, I would have taken a different position and voted with the other trustees who thought it was the right thing to do. So when our daughter... I was blind to this. This happened when our daughter was a freshman there. And I thought for sure that when she came there, Michigan State would be the best possible place in the country and be on their best behavior and function as efficiently as possible because they learned from their sins. And what I came to believe is they really didn't because what I found was that there was a, a it's cliquish, you know, that um, it's more important to protect the brand than to get to the truth. And um, that is something that is foreign to me. And um, I think it's changing, but for the longest time, I think we got trustees that just um, for better or for worse, wanted to be in the club. And then once they were in the club and they were attending games and flying on team planes and so forth, that um, they just kind of went along with things. And um, the people that suffered as a result are the students and the people of the state of Michigan. So when I say dysfunctional, that's at the core of what I'm talking about because functional leadership would be a team of leaders that has rigorous open debate on issues and then gets to the best solution, realizing that we're not always going to agree on everything, but that we will get to the best solution for the institution, for the students and the people of Michigan. Hmm. You know, along those lines, there are two other phrases that really pop out. And again, you can see these, uh, these words and phrases on Mike's uh, page, uh, and they are, and I'll read them, telling the truth, uh, is important to you. And holding people accountable uh, is, is another thing that's important. So elaborate those in relationship to what you've said. Well, telling the truth is a bare minimum. Um, and it's not as simple as just telling the truth. It's enabling others to speak the truth. So when you go to trustees meetings, which I've gone to everyone for the last 18 months, and you, you get three minutes to speak and um, and that's all you get many times. Like, quite frankly, it's humiliating for someone who's a successful person in the community to be given three minutes to say your piece and you get no follow up. 
Um, I would say that over the last few months, uh, at least personally, that's been changed a little bit where I've been able to have engagement, you know, for instance, with some of the trustees, with others, zero, um, with the president, zero, with the athletic director, zero. And um, I don't find that acceptable. Um, I think that if we have a, 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 a functioning university, men and women of goodwill can get in a room and talk to each other about issues, whether it's what I just described or something like the elimination of the swim and dive team or the shutdowns during COVID or, or whatever the issue is and try to get to a solution. And if you can't, at least you can agree to disagree and understand the principles upon which you disagree. But for instance, like in the situation of the Spartan swim and dive team, uh, of which my daughter was a part, and then tell everyone that, um, to this day, we've never uh, got the true answer as to why that program was eliminated. And I find that to be a travesty. People in, in, in positions of power need to be accountable to the people that they're responsible to. And in, in almost all cases at Michigan State University, it begins and ends with the students at that university. Mm -hmm. You know, you've uh, done a great job, certainly, in answering from uh, any perspective uh, why you've decided to run. Uh, one of the challenges, and you and I have talked about this, is that uh, you're one, uh, if elected, you'll be one among a number of trustees. And so uh, it's not as though um, whatever you see as a priority will automatically happen, but there are things that you hold dear and want to see happen. And I picked out a few, um, four specific uh, things you would like to see uh, as priorities. And so let's go down the list. Uh, the first one is, and you alluded to it a few seconds ago, is putting students first. Uh, does that mean that students are not coming first now? Or just elaborate why you believe that is so important to be your number one priority. Yes, and what I mean by that is it sounds obvious, but MSU is a huge place with many stakeholders. You know, you have uh, hired faculty, you have administrative staff, you have students, both undergraduate and graduate, you have people doing research, you have just all sorts of people and, and, and billions of dollars that flow through this university. But let's not forget that the reason it was established to begin with was to be the land grant school for the people of the state of Michigan and to provide a functional, practical, great education that would improve the lives of those students, right? That is still the mission, in my opinion. I mean, we can parse the words in MSU's mission statement and we'd find something very close to that, but I'm paraphrasing in my own words what that means to me. So what that means to me is uh, young men and women will come out of there with a, a, a great degree. They're going to be better off for it with as little debt as possible and that their education won't be put second to any other interest on campus. So for instance, research is very important to Michigan State. A lot of money comes in there for research and it is very important, but we shouldn't allow um, the four-year degree to ever be uh, subservient to doing research. And what I mean by that is some professors are great researchers and some are great instructors. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't put students in a classroom with, with uh, professors that might not be the best at teaching if they're better at research. But I think a lot of times that gets lost in the shuffle. And I think that, um, you know, the historic tuition raises, have, uh, although they've kind of petered off in recent years, and that's MSU's credit. But for many, many years, they outpaced inflation because, heck, we thought 
uh, MSU, like many colleges, thought the, the, the young men and women will just borrow more. Why not? They want to come here, they're going to borrow more. And uh, I think that's wrong. Um, so I'll give MSU credit where credit is due in that it, it really, uh, there's more students there from the state of Michigan than say U of M, for instance. Um, but we can always be better and we can always ensure that the young men and women that are there for their four-year degree, um, it, it's the best possible experience for them and that other things are not getting in the way of that. You know, and I would throw the shutdown in there. Um, there's no way in my mind that distance learning is any sort of substitute for in-person learning. And in the beginning, I realized there was a need for that, but I thought it went on way too long at MSU for what reasons I can speculate. But um, the fact of the matter is if we're truly putting students first, we would have opened up that campus far earlier than, than we did because the mm -hmm. psychological impacts of that campus not being open were, were hard on the uh, students. Mm -hmm. uh, another one of your uh, priorities, and not surprising given your business background, is financial oversight and what you call, again, your language, problematic spending. So give the audience a, a thumbnail sketch of what you mean by those words. Well, it kind of dovetails with um, my previous statements. Um, every dollar should be scrutinized to provide the best possible um, outcome to the to the end user, which is the students. You know, whether they're undergraduate or or graduate. Um, and so, you know, I'm I'm not convinced that, um, that 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 always happens. You know, there there are programs that are cut. That are pro there are programs that are funded, and and a lot of times um, they're not you know, exactly in keeping with what I would say is, is the smartest um, process. Now, I fully realize there's differences of opinion on this, on which programs should be offered by the university, and which ones uh, should not. But I think that um, over the last, let's say, couple decades, there's been a lot of bloat going on where things are funded inside the university, which um, maybe shouldn't be, and more money should be spent on the core programs, you know, maybe it's uh, offering a certain class or course of education um, and, and maybe not, you know, so that's something that I, I firmly believe uh, can be looked at. I don't have a whole lot of exact examples to give you now, but anecdotally, I've had a lot of people approach me during the campaign and say, Mike, we really need to take a look at where our dollars are being spent because, um, you know, if you, if you look at the ratio of uh, overhead, if you will, to the students there, it, it seems like it's a little out of whack and uh, we could do better in that regard. And, and, and that's not something where I even come in saying I have all the right answers immediately, but it's a dialogue that should be ongoing and continuous and should be done out in the open. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the next, one of the next priorities you have, um, again, using your language, fairness uh, and transparency in decision-making. Mm -hmm. Well, for that, I think we need to look no further than what happened to our uh, Spartan Swim and Dive team in the fall of 2020. You know, for for um, nearly 100 years, MSU had a men's swimming team, and for 51 years, had a women's swimming team. And at least for the last few years, uh, and I'm pretty sure for its entire existence, provided some of the best student athletes on campus at MSU. Um, they didn't always, you know, they didn't win the, the Big Ten in recent memory, but they had plenty of individual swimmers that got Olympic cuts and so forth. And they had a coach who had long tenure at MSU, Matt Giannotis, for 19 years, recruited great students, and was told he was doing a great job. And um, lo and behold, when Mr. Beekman became the athletic director, he decided he was going to end the program in the fall of 2020. 
which was news to the student athletes, which was news to the coach, which was news to the alumni and, and the parents. And so if there was any sort of fairness and, and transparency in decision-making, I think we might've had a heads up that that was coming and that there was a problem that needed to be solved. But as it was, the only communication we got at, uh, from the university was that um, the facilities for swimming at MSU were subpar and there was no hope to improve them. So regrettably, the program needs to be eliminated um, and that we didn't even swim in a regulation pool. Well, as it turned out, the students, student athletes did swim in a regulation pool. And um, so that was a false reason. Um, and the alumni and parents banded together to put together uh, funding and, and ideas for improvement. And um, to this date, we've, uh, we, I speak collectively because I was part of that group, have never been able to get a meeting with the, uh, the president, have never been able to get a meeting with the athletic director um, to talk about that. It was just like, hey, the decision's final, deal with it. And that is exactly the opposite of fairness and transparency and decision-making because um, the, 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 there's never been a good reason given for cutting such a wonderful program. You know, on one hand, MSU talks about how great student athletes are and how important school is. And then it goes ahead and cuts a group like this and puts a knife in their back for reasons that we can only guess at. So um, we're, we're still uh, uh, fighting that fight. And um, that was one of the things that really opened my eyes to to things that go on behind closed doors at Michigan State. Um, you know, another is, of course, what I alluded to earlier with the, the investigation into the Nasser aftermath. But uh, there, there's others too. I just don't know what I don't know in this case. But where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think um, sometimes people make up their own reasons for doing things. And um, when they hold power, they do them. And then when people question that, well-intentioned people like uh, the alumni behind the swim and dive team, the people in power don't like that. And that's really too bad because uh, if they had behaved better and been more open in their decision-making, perhaps people wouldn't be organized against them because that's the only course of action that they had. Mm -hmm. It follows from what you're saying that no one should be surprised that one of your priorities should be, you'd be elected is to try to get both teams, men's and women's teams reinstated. And you mentioned earlier, a group of alums and others have come together in the truth, I have to tell the audience I'm a member of that group, and I believe that group is uh, has fundraised close to a million dollars. Is it now? It must be getting close, at least seven hundred thousand dollars, I would imagine. But you're closer to it. Yeah, it's actually uh, quite a bit more than than that. Uh, the the funding comes from different sources, such as um, gifts this year, gifts over five years, and a state donation. Um, I believe we're actually there. There was already, I believe. Don't quote me exactly on this number, but $1.2 million, $1.8 million in existing endowments. And to that, we've uh, been able to find another, let's say, $10 million that would come in over the next uh, few years, with the goal being perhaps endowing some, if not all, of the scholarships, particularly on the men's team, because the women, um, which we could talk about in a minute, have rights under federal law in Title IX. The men have no such rights, but it's important for the battle group uh, to get both teams back because both were wonderful assets to the university and graduated wonderful students. And in fact, if you added up all the tuition and fees paid by the men's and women's swimming team, MSU came out $1.2 million ahead every year, even after paying for all the scholarships and coaches salaries and everything. So absolutely, it's one of my goals to get those teams back. And um, I would make the argument that instead of cutting sports, particularly at this day and age, we should look at adding sports. Um, 
the Big Ten's on the verge of signing a historic TV contract that's going to pay them close to a billion dollars a year. And MSU's share of that revenue is going to go from something like $42 million a year to $72 million a year, just like that. So anybody can do that math, I think. Um, you know, we're in a good place financially, and uh, we should look at uh, enabling all of our student athletes to succeed. But I would say success is not only measured on the fields and in the pool, it's the whole person. And um, no one can tell me otherwise, because every time I hear an official at MSU talk about our wonderful student athletes and their performance in the classroom, it rings hollow to me if they're going to be cutting programs that were a big part of that success. Well, one of the things that strikes me and has always strike, struck me about change, Mike, is that oftentimes we think about, well, those are pushing for change around the outside. Think of the protesters, et cetera, and the people who are uh, working at the community level and above to try to bring about change. But you're talking about change from the inside, the inside change agent. And I, I'm going to use a word that you have not used, but I'll use. I view you as a reform candidate, that things aren't the way they should be. You, you stated yourself, MSU can be better. And so you would like to uh, be a part of that and to be a leader, a word you used earlier, in that process. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, you're, you know, you're one among many. And we've had experience with other, again, my word, reform candidates. Uh, perhaps the most notable was Nancy Schlisting, uh, who was CEO of the Ford system, uh, hospital system in Detroit, who was uh, appointed uh, by then Governor Snyder, who resigned um, in frustration uh, and left the board. Uh, and she has served, I believe, on between 80 and 100 boards in her career. Uh, was CEO of a major, uh, a huge uh, operation, and also has written a book on leadership. Uh, that, um, that's troubling when a person with that background and profile uh, says yes, you mentioned earlier, don't say yes to everything, says yes, uh, and then leaves. So, and you and I talked about that I would ask this question, uh, what's going to be different for you uh, how are you going to come in as an outsider? You're not an MSU alum. Um, you've raised questions and concerns about Michigan State. How are you going to exert the kind of leadership that's needed to build coalitions to be able to move uh, the kinds of things you want to see move forward, your agenda, so to speak? Great, great question, uh, which I appreciate because my leadership style is collaborative open and inexhaustible. You know, I, I think people who will enjoy talking about the issues and, and trying to find solutions will enjoy working with me. And those that don't are gonna find me to be a formidable adversary because they're gonna be like, he just won't quit. Um, I was taught at a young age and in the military just never to quit um, in, in pursuit of a worthy goal. You know, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that said, one of the greatest joys in life is working hard at work worth doing. I, I can't think of many things worth doing more than supporting the education of our young men and women at a public land-grant university. It would be a true honor to serve. And so my chosen path is um, to get inside and help lead from the inside by setting the example. Look, I'd be one of eight. I'm not a superman. I can't affect change overnight with one vote. But what I can do is show people how committed I am to doing the right thing, to the truth, to having their back, you know, if they're doing the right thing and to, uh, to calling them out if they're not, you know. Um, there's no room in this uh, position at this school for people that are in it for themselves. 
There's no room for people that are looking to um, burnish their reputation at the expense of another um, and do anything that would be harmful to the education of our, our young men and women. Um, easy to say, harder to put into practice, but the only way I know how to put that into practice is by rolling up your sleeves and analyzing the issues. And you know, if there's a report I wanna see, I'm gonna to wanna to see it. If I wanna ask questions on that report, I'm gonna ask those questions. And if those questions don't get answered, I'm gonna keep asking them. And if I'm having trouble uh, getting them answered at that point, I'll look at bringing in other resources. You know, so, and building, like you say, building coalitions of, of the willing people that are, that are saying, yeah, Mike, you're right. Like we need to take, take a look at this. The last thing I wanna do is show up for a trustee meeting be presented with information the day before, and then asked to vote on something the next day without even having time to consider it. I, I find that to be a, a horrible way of doing business. And so I think the proper, a proper way of approaching the trustee role, because it pays zero dollars, right? It doesn't feed the family. So it's not gonna uh, take every hour of anyone's day and nor should it, but you need to spend a few hours a week uh, thinking about the issues, uh, reading through documents, uh, talking to people on the phone, in preparation for getting together and actually affecting policy at the meetings. And through that process, I think I can be an agent for, um, for change, whether it's gradual or abrupt in some cases. Um, probably can't do things as fast as I would like, but that's part of the process, right? We're not all gonna agree on things, but I just wanna be one of eight that's trying to move the university forward. Very well stated. Up to this point, Mike, I have asked all the questions. We're very pleased. Uh, to have a colleague with us, Jim Phelan, and uh, Jim, is this this is your time uh, to ask any question you would like of of Mike? So if you could turn on your at least your audio video, you're welcome to do that too, and uh, fire away. Well, um, thanks, Frank, and, and hi, Mike. I, I'm I'm chagrined to say that I started the the 40 minutes ago with a list of questions, and and you've thoroughly covered all of them. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed listening and, and, and really learning more. Uh, I consider Mike a friend, but I, I hadn't heard about his family and, and his, uh, his, 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 his lifetime of service, um, which I was gratified to hear. And uh, as far as you know, his agenda for um, his time on the Board of Trustees, you have certainly thoroughly addressed any of the questions that I, I had. That's an A plus, Mike. <laughs> I had a good interviewer in Frank, so uh, it's credit for that. Yeah, well, you're very, very kind. Uh, a couple of things before we bid the audience uh, goodbye, uh, Mike. First is, um, you, we all know that it takes money to run campaigns. And so we certainly encourage people to, obviously, to vote in November and vote for Mike. So, uh, Mike, uh, offer information about where they can find more information about you, uh, including how they can donate. Wonderful, yes. So my website is www.mikebalow4msu.org. And that's uh, Mike, of course, B-A-L-O-W, four, that's the word for, not the number, msu.org. And on that webpage, you'll find information about me. You'll find a donate button. Um, you can also check me out on Facebook. It's uh, Mike Bailo for MSU. I think we'll, it'll pop when you search. Same thing on Twitter, same thing on Instagram. And it does, uh, any, any donate, donation, no matter how small, is very welcome. Because as you might imagine, um, you know, the, the big hitters focus on the governor and the Congress, men and women, for good reason. Uh, many people don't uh, pay attention to the trustee or regent races. 
And that's too bad because um, these are important jobs. These uh, eight person bodies are the supreme bodies for these universities that hire the president, the athletic director, set policy, and can really have an indirect um, yet somewhat direct impact on the lives of our young men and women. And we need to pay particular attention to who we're putting in the office. Um, in many ways, it's sad this, that it's a partisan race, but that's the way our Michigan constitution is written. But I, I implore you to uh, consider the character of the people you're voting for and um, you know, flip that ballot over and get all the way to the bottom and, uh, and make sure you do your research. And then, uh, yeah, it's uh, it'd be great to uh, have people reach out to me and give me your thoughts and suggestions as well as donations if you care to interact with me on social media um, because we could do this together you know like um, uh, Frank had mentioned um, you know I'm not from Michigan State I didn't go there I've come to love the place though for what it means for our state and I actually view the fact that I didn't go there as an advantage because I don't owe anything to anybody there no one tapped me on the shoulder and said hey we want you to do this Mike this came from you know inside from right here and uh, therefore I get to do things uh, the right way, my way, um, not to criticize any others, but, you know, I, I think in uh, coming in there in, independently as I am, um, um, thankful for the blessing of, of the GOP on, on the nomination uh, there at the endorsement convention. Um, technically, it's an endorsement. The nomination comes in August, but that'll happen. And then the elections in November. Um, just know that um, I mean what I said. I'll put our young men and women first and that, you um, we can make MSU better and, and, and build it back better than it has been these last uh, few years. Because to those who really know, it is still a beautiful place on the outside, but there's many things on the inside that, that need fixing. And I'd like to be a part of that. Mike, thanks so much for being with us today, taking the time. Very informative for all of us, certainly for me. Uh, having a better idea now of who you are, why you're running, and what you hope to accomplish as an Michigan State University trustee. Before we close, I'd like to offer two thoughts uh, on what I know to be sensitive, but I think also very critical issues. Both are political, one in the political party sense and the other in the institutional sense. First, it's no secret that we live in a politically polarized society, political party-wise. And if you didn't know it before, you know it now that Mike is running as a Republican. So here's my plea. Focus on the person that is Mike Bailow, who is running for this office, not that he just happens to be running as a Republican. Those of you who are not Republicans, my hope is that you will not penalize Mike because he is not affiliated with your particular political preference. Second, I understand how deep school loyalties can run and that it is sometimes very difficult, um, if not unpalatable, to hear anybody raise questions or to quote unquote criticize, find fault with your school of choice. Mike is doing that. He's raising questions about Michigan State. Uh, he is running because he believes things can be better and he states it exactly that way using those words. But trust me, Mike does not tear down Michigan State. He seeks to build it up. Uh, you know, if we can't approach life that way, then there's no chance of improving because we'll focus just on the positives and never admit, let alone doing anything, about the negatives. 
So think about that. Those two issues I just brought up, uh, as you think about candidates for MSU trustee and as you enter the ballot box. With that, I'd like to thank you for being with us today. This is Frank Fear for Future You. Take care, everyone. Thank you.